This is the show for those who want to live strong in business, life, and family. Welcome to the Warrior Her Podcast. Hi, everybody. Uh, this is Hope Wiseman, the founder of Marion, Maine. I was born and raised in Prince George's County, Maryland, where my store now currently is. My store is actually a few minutes away from where I went to high school, where I graduated from high school, Bishop McNamara. Um, I ended up going to college in Atlanta. I'm a graduate of Spelman College. I was an economics major while I was in school. Um, I was really active on campus. I founded my school's chapter of Habitat for Humanity. Uh, I was uh, the economics club president for two years. Um, I also, you know, had jobs off campus. I was a Red Bull girl, so I used to drive the little uh, Mini Coopers with the Red Bull on it and give you free Red Bull, give you free wings. Um, and I also was a Falcon cheerleader while I was in Atlanta. So I did a lot of things, a lot of different things. Um, but I think I had a pretty well-rounded life while I was uh, in college, but it led me to a career in investment banking, um, which ultimately, you know, just kept me interested in emerging markets and, you know, seeing what's going on in the economy, which was my first introduction to the cannabis industry in 2014, right after I had graduated, I started to see the the kind of economic impact that the industry uh, was was going to have on the U.S. economy. And it really just had that's what sparked my interest. And for so many other reasons. Um, I also, you know, I thought that it would be a great industry for me to enter into. And I kind of dived head first and, or dove, I guess you could say head first. Um, and, and now here I am uh, almost, you know, six years later and I operate a dispensary in a highly competitive market to enter. Um, and I'm, you know, exploring expansion opportunities as well. So what was life, to kind of go back a little bit, what was life growing up like in Prince George's County? Because I am from pretty much from Florida. I was actually born in Virginia, but I have no idea what, I've never even heard of it until I saw you on another interview. So explain to people <laughs> where this area is and what it what it's like. What's unique about this area? Yeah, so Prince George's County is uh, right outside of Washington, D.C. I guess you could say it's like a suburb of Washington, D.C. A lot of people who live in Prince George's work in the city. Um, so Prince George's County, you know, it has been recognized as one of the most affluent African-American counties in the U.S. Um, there's definitely a lot of really amazing African-American people who live here, doctors, lawyers. My mother's a dentist. Um, my dad works for the VA in DC. Um, and, you know, it's, it's a lot of that. You see a lot of that in this area. So I definitely grew up uh, inspired, knowing that there were people that looked like me that were doing really great things and really succeeding in life. Um, so I had a really, I had a really good childhood. I tell people that all the time, you know, I didn't have to, I mean, I definitely didn't grow up, uh, 
you know, multimillionaire, don't have a trust fund, nothing like that. But, you know, I had a, a very comfortable childhood and I was lucky to be able to see so many people around me from my friends' parents and my own parents that were doing well for themselves. Was college always the track that you planned? Was that always part of something that you knew was going to happen? Yeah, you know, so I think growing up the way that I did, to me, it was just kind of like, you know, the next natural progression, the next natural step. But, you know, even me now, older, and really understanding myself a lot more, I definitely think college was definitely the right choice for me. Um, I know that's not everyone's best choice, and it's not always the best choice for everyone else, but I... It was definitely the right thing for me. Um, and I was able to be exposed to so many different things. And I definitely think, although it was short-lived, my career in investment banking helped shape um, my work ethic and my confidence as well, because I, I was just thrown um, into a really difficult career path very early with you know no real knowledge. I didn't even know what investment banking was when I was younger growing up. You know, <laughs> I wasn't like some of these kids that grew up in a house where that was normal and taught from a young age, you know? So I definitely, um, I think college was the right move for me, but definitely um, it just see it was like the next thing after high school, you go to college kind of, you know? And why Spelman? You know, for me, I loved uh, the idea of going to an HBCU. Both of my parents went to HBCUs for undergrad. Um, and I, I, I love that idea. I really, uh, I never took it for granted being able to grow up around so many African-Americans that were doing well. And also, you know, if I can be 100% honest, for me, I could have went to, prop, you know, I, I applied to a bunch of schools and I got into a bunch of schools and I really could have went wherever I wanted. But I, I really loved that when I went to Spelman and when I talked to other Spelmanites, I realized they were getting recruited by really high level uh, companies. And you're seeing a lot of doctors that went to Spelman and a lot of people that are going to Ivy League grad schools coming out of Spelman. So I realized that, OK, when a company is recruiting and they're, you know, they want to have um, a black woman on their team, they're honestly not going to Harvard and looking for the black woman they're going to Spelman looking for that black woman. So I realized I had a better chance of developing myself as well as, you know, really being um, highlighted for career opportunities at a school like that, where people are looking for me versus having to be seen. That makes a lot of sense. It's very strategic, mm -hmm. even at that young of an age that you thought about that. Mm -hmm. It's very, yeah. So how did the TEDx opportunity come about? Yeah, so in my time in Atlanta, I did a TEDx in Atlanta, TEDx Buckhead. So my time in Atlanta, I was able to meet a lot of people and make a lot of connections. So that's something I pride myself in really being able to do. I believe that's where why I've been able to do so well, um, you know, in my career ventures and, you know, in life so far. So in Atlanta, a friend of mine, um, his name is Tosin Odalu. And I, I met him through, I think, when I was doing some events uh, at the Jay Morrison Academy. So Jay Morrison teaches financial literacy. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, him and his mm -hmm. wife, Ernie Morrison, they're really awesome. So I, um, you know, I just knew them. And Tosin had the opportunity to put together a TEDx. So 
You know, he naturally invited all of his friends who he's, you know, really surrounded himself around people who are doing amazing things. So, you know, everybody that spoke at that TEDx pretty much, you know, kind of knew of each other with the exception of a few people. But it was Tostin that organized it all. And he was a friend. Okay, so I do have to ask you because I couldn't figure out the timeline. Was Wags mm-hmm. was Wags before <laughs> or after or during your dispensary? Process? Wags was so I filmed Wags after I had been awarded the license, but before we had opened the store. Okay, and for people who do not know what Wags is, right? So Wags was a reality show that was on um, E, the same network as uh, the Kardashians. And it was, it stood for, WAG stood for Wives and Girlfriends of Sports Stars, I guess you could say. So I was on the Atlanta version of that, um, mainly because of my affiliation with the Falcons um, and a lot of the girls that had been on, that um, were previous cheerleaders or pageant girls, which I was both. So that was my association. I was the single girl on the show. I happened to see that and I was like, oh, wow. I, I wanted to ask about that. <laughs> For sure. It's, just, it's an interesting <laughs> opportunity. Yeah, I mean. Um, like just a different direction of your business. So it was, yeah. it was just interesting. Well, you know, for me, I I like I pride myself too in like being who I really am, and I've never felt like I had to wear a mask or be anything different. Like my, I am intelligent. I'm also young. I also go out. I also work really hard. I read a lot. I also drink sometimes. I also, you know, I'm I'm a real person. So I think that for me, doing the show was just okay. You know, this is who I am too. Um, and I'm okay with, with doing that. And I love that, that freedom I now have as an entrepreneur to be my full yeah, and that you 100% don't have to be in self. Because too often, you know, mm-hmm. especially as exactly. a woman of color, we're put into a box. Like, oh, you can only be this or you can only be this. Mm-hmm. So exactly. as we move into segment two, we're going to cover some of the sides of the cannabis industry. So are you able to utilize all banks for the money that comes into your business? No. So because uh, cannabis is a schedule one controlled substance, it's federally illegal, which means that most banks aren't going to touch you because most banks have, um, you know, they're insured by the federal government. So they don't want to lose that status um, and they should not because that would be bad. Um, so, you know, we understand that it's an extra liability to work with cannabis companies, but we are fortunate. We do have a bank we work with. We have to pay higher fees. for. So that. how do the transactions work since it's not legalized federally, but it is in your state? So in each, I think that's where it starts at the local level. Really, you have to find the people that represent you locally that have some influence over what's happening in the state. And um, from there, you you just lobby for what you want, and they want to make their constituents happy. Because I do think that there's a certain amount. You know, I don't know. I'm not really a cannabis user, but I do think it should be legal, right? Um, Which I think is a lot. Of, you know, that's majority of Americans feel the same way. 
even but I, I really don't know really where to start. And I feel like I'm educated. I consider myself to be pretty smart, but that's, you know, I, I need to look more into that because it's something that I would assume a lot of other people also don't know. And then they complain because they're like, well, I want it to be legal. It's not fair. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I hear that a lot. I hear that a lot, but you know, what I say is at this stage of where cannabis is nationally, it is a legislative issue. It is something that whatever you want to see happen, you have to go start there because that's where, you know, once a law is passed, it's very difficult to to walk it back. So whatever you want to see in it, you got to start there. And right now, while the states control it, you have a little bit more control because you can reach out directly to your local representatives who really want to hear from you. These local elections are small, you know, like thousands of people come out and there's millions of people in their areas or really most of sometimes it's thousands, but you know, not that many people come out to vote in these local elections. So the more that they can feel like they're engaging people locally, they're, they're going to. That makes a lot of sense. Um, You know, it's something that if you're listening, take advantage of that. Yeah. I'll, I'll post some things in the show notes. I'll do a little research, especially for Florida, at least my area and uh, share that in the show notes as well. Uh, I would like to talk about now a little bit more specific processes within the business. Mm-hmm. So when, when you decided that you were going to open your own dispensary route, mm-hmm. tell me just briefly what that looked like. Yeah. So when I decided to open my own dispensary, I mean, I really didn't decide that at first. I just decided I wanted to be in the industry. So I started exploring opportunities. And um, for me, you know, I I started to look at, okay, what states I I thought I wanted to be on the legal side, uh, the plant touching side, not the legal side, of course, the legal side, but the plant touching side, like actually um, having a dispensary or a grow or processing. I wasn't thinking about ancillary companies just yet. And ancillary meaning companies that support the industry that you don't really need a license for, like uh, security or, um, you know, uh, packaging and labeling, um, uh, branding and marketing, but directly for cannabis. I mean, there were just so many other things that I could have looked at as well. Delivery companies, um, technology. So there's so many other ways that I could have approached the industry at that point, but I was not thinking about that in 2014. So I started going to uh, a bunch of different networking opportunities in cannabis that I could find. Um, And I realized, okay, it's a state by state thing. Um, Let me look up what's going on in Georgia, because that's where I still was at the time. Um, I realized not too much was going on in Georgia. So I looked up what was going on in my home state of Maryland. And from there, I realized that Maryland had just passed their regulations to legalize uh, the business and, or legalize the industry, the the medical industry, and that they would have an application process within the next year. It said that in the law. So you see, again, it started with legislation. Some people lobbied and people, uh, delegates and senators supported a bill. It became law. And then it told you exactly what was going to happen. We're going to license and here's the criteria for licensing. 
and we're going to do that within a year. So although the application hadn't been dropped, uh, we knew, okay, this is what we should be preparing for in this. This was 2014 at the time. We knew it would happen sometime in 2015. So we began preparing all of the different things in the regulations that uh, would we knew would be in the application process. Uh, the application then dropped in 2015, and you have even clearer instructions on how to kind of put all of that information in a package that the state wants to see. Uh, you have to be extremely detail-oriented and um, do it exactly the way that they say, and you have to show a strong command on understanding those regulations uh, that I just described. But if you, you know, if you're preparing in advance, you you should be because you should understand everything they're looking for because they pretty much lay it right out for you in the regulations. Um, and at that point, it's almost like an open book test. I, I say these application processes are like an open book test that are, it, it's graded on a bell curve. So they, they give you all the answers and everyone has all the answers, but we can answer it the same, but someone is gonna get a higher score than someone else. Um, so you have to do your best to figure out ways to be unique and stand out in the process. And we were fortunate enough to win a dispensary license. And that's kind of how I went about it in the early stages. And during this application process, was this something that you did on your own? Did your mom work on it with you or did you have another person, another party? Yeah. So these application processes are extremely, um, uh, time consuming. And it's really not something, it's not like a one man thing um, most of the time. So yeah, we put together a small team. My mother worked on it. We had some other people that ha were good at technical writing, um, work working on it. And then we had some subject matter experts that understood uh, specific uh, points of the business to be able to weigh in and consult with us. Um, but yeah, we did most of the actual writing ourselves. And were those other people that you had working with you, was that also like an expense? Yes. So that was an expense for us. In the application stage, you know, you can spend a lot of money and, and then you can also do it for cheap. It, it really depends on your resources and your network. Um, but a lot of uh, the larger companies at this point are not sparing any expenses uh, they are really putting every effort to uh, get as as many points on the application as possible. So any way they can uh, add value to their application, they will. And they'll spend that money to uh, be able to use somebody's resume that has, uh, you know, some some really stellar experience to uh, talk about, let's say, a dispensary owner that was able to take a dispensary from failing to doing, you know, 200% of the revenue they did the year before and has operated 30 stores in California or something like that. They'll pay that person to be on their application and they'll do those extra things. So, yeah, I mean, it gets to definitely be costly. And the it, do you think, this is just a side note, but do you think that dispensaries that are failing or having are struggling? Do you think it it's due to the legal part of things, or is it the is it capital? So it depends on the market. Remember, each state has its own kind of uh, industry within itself. 
that functions very differently. So, you know, a business in Oregon that is failing, that makes sense because Oregon is very, it's open and free uh, with these licenses. Pretty much you can go down if, if there are more available in the area that you're in and you meet the criteria, you get a license. Versus a state like Maryland, there was a licensing process already for medical. There's a certain number of licenses, and there you go. Um, they're kind of controlling the market a little bit more. So, it you know, due to their studies, every business should be able to survive in Maryland because they didn't license too many. But in Oregon, there's, you know, thousands. So it's very difficult to make money. Oklahoma there, it's like that. There's there's a bunch of dispensaries. They, it's not as controlled of a licensing process. I should say not necessarily controlled, but it's not as limited. So you got to just look at each area and that would kind of explain why. And sometimes, yes, it is just, you know, it's, it's capital. Capital is a big piece of what's missing because a lot of people are this, a lot of people are anticipating adult use, you know, in federal legalization. So they're putting a lot of, uh, they're, they're, they're raising a lot of money in anticipation of that. And they're not able to pay back what they're raising in the amount of, it's not happening as quickly, I guess, as they anticipated, but it will happen. The industry is going to blow up. It's already blowing up. Um, and people are just having to kind of survive this period right now. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, you know, did you, how did you decide how to incorporate your business? You know, a lot of people go back and forth with this, but I would say you have to just, you know, consult with uh, the proper uh, consultants and proper attorneys and tax, uh, tax individuals to understand what's best for your business and your situation. You have to look at your long-term strategy um, and then you also have to understand, even though it might be a little complicated and will also cost money in the future, you can change later. So, you know, we've in our we're a uh, our our business is a corporation, um, but we have other entities that we operate as well as LLCs. So it just kind of depends on what your exit strategy is and uh, your your current makeup you know or if you're the the shareholder the sole shareholder do you plan on raising money um how much money uh, what type of investors institutional investors or just private investors or just like friends and family you know all these things matter and when you started mary and maine did you use your own money or you um did you get loans were you able to use your family how did that work yeah so, you know, in cannabis, because it's federally illegal, you cannot, uh, you know, traditional bank loans are not available. Um, and really debt funding in general is just now starting to become available in cannabis from private lenders. And the rates there are still much higher than, you know, conventional business loans. So debt is difficult for, for cannabis. So no, we didn't get any loans um, between myself and my mother. And Dr. Bryant, who's our third founder, um, the three of us definitely bootstrapped the the business. So, you know, I always tell and Dr. Bryant kind of both put me up on their shoulders and allowed me to carry out my vision and they supported it financially. That's great. That really is. How did you find a location? 
Thank you. For this dispensary. How did you decide you wanted to do it there? Yeah. So in Maryland, again, a lot of times this is a function of, um, of kind of governmental control, but Maryland licensed uh, dispensaries in uh, two per senatorial district. So we were awarded our license in the district we operated in. So we were restricted to finding a location there. Um, and then on top of that, the only control that the local jurisdictions have over cannabis in Maryland, every state is different um, though, but the only jurisdiction that they have in Maryland is over zoning. So they created zoning ordinance in Prince George's County was a little difficult with their zoning ordinance. It wasn't like, you know, we had a lot of buildings to choose from. Also, you have kind of that cannabis uh, fear from a lot of landlords that have bank loans. I feel like their bank loans may get called, which has happened before. Um, so you have a lot of people that just won't lease to you or they add on the cannabis tax. So because your cannabis, you know, they might charge you double or triple what they would normally charge a business. So we had a difficult time locating a building, but we found a building that was perfect and fit the, uh, fit the build that, we could purchase. So, you know, we ended up buying a building. And then how many different types of businesses do you work with to sell your products? Like, do you work with cultivators, manufacturers, breeders? Yeah. So we, uh, we can only purchase product from people who are licensed within the state. So there are 17 uh, cultivators that are licensed currently. There are 18 processors that are licensed currently in the state of Maryland. So we can purchase product from um, any of those companies. And that's who and we how does with. how does Marion Maine hire? And what does an ideal staff member look like? Uh, for us, we look for people that are teachable and have strong retail and customer service skills. Uh, we teach the, the science behind cannabis. We know that it's new and it's a new industry, so we can teach that. But you know, we can't teach uh, customer service uh, the, the natural ability of it. I mean, we can give you pointers and tips and teach you the merry and main way. But if you just don't have a personality to, you know, deal with individuals that have a lot of questions and need guidance, then you won't be a good fit. So that's what we look for in our hires um, for our experience agents or what other people know as. And how many tenders. how many staff members do you guys currently have? We have 15 currently, um, part-time and full-time. And are they, um, in in that realm, are they paid very similar to, like, you know, minimum wage? Is it something that just based on the business? No, so we pay above minimum wage um, because, you know, we really want to make sure our employees know that they are uh, valued and, you know, we want them to be happy. And definitely as we grow and expand, we plan to offer even more um, you know, benefits to our, our employees, but we, we definitely offer more than minimum wage and our full-time employees are, uh, uh, have benefits available to them currently, like health insurance and um, other benefits. So we're happy to be able to do that. That feels awesome uh, for me to ha be able to provide those things and provide um, people with a job uh, in general. So I'm, I'm really happy about that. Have you had to fire that. anybody yet? <laughs> I have, I have, and it was terrible. Um, it's happened twice, 
Uh, luckily, you know, I have my mother who's operated a business uh, since I was born, um, her practice she owns. So, you know, I have, I have her to lean on, but it was definitely difficult for me. It was really hard to do, but I, I also believe that, you know, in order to have the business survive, sometimes feelings have to be taken out of it. True story. True story for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so what do the profit margins look like? Um, you know, you can be very specific or you can give me like general numbers, but I just want to give people an idea if they're interested in opening a business and this, you know, a cannabis um, dispensary, like what that could possibly look like for them. Hey guys, you want to know how you can keep supporting the show for as little as $1 a month? If you visit patreon.com slash warriorherpodcast, you can sign up on different levels. This will include access to early recordings, unedited versions, and even input on what guests I should have on the show next. Thank you so much for your support. Again, patreon.com slash warriorherpodcast. Yeah. So in a cannabis business, I mean, the margins, especially on the retail level, are not as amazing as people would probably think. Um, If you're a retailer that's not vertically integrated, you're purchasing the product and you can normally mark it up, you know, 100%. So you're getting 50% margins. However, in the cannabis industry, especially in Maryland, you know, discounts and sales are extremely prevalent to drive revenue. So, you know, you have to realize you're probably getting around like a 40% margin on on your uh, product average, probably. Um, Every business is different in how they can do this. And if you're vertically integrated, that's a whole different story because you're controlling the pricing of your product. So vertically integrated means... um, being able to uh, grow the product and or process it and then retail it as well. So you're producing the product and you're retailing. But then would that also mean that you're, you just work with a grower directly or you are the grower? Um, It means that your company is the grower and then you are, or it could mean you work with a grower directly. I mean, you could be vertically integrated through an agreement and not ownership. There are ways to do it. Um, where it's still a beneficial partnership. But, you know, the independent dispensaries like mine that are not associated with any grower and processor through any type of agreement, um, it's a little bit more difficult because we're just subject to whatever pricing they have. And, you know, if, if the price is raised uh, on us, we have to raise it is on that our patients. something that you think you would want to do in the future? Potentially, yeah. You know, especially while things are the way they are right now, with each state having its own framework and not being able to have interstate commerce, I do think being vertically integrated is important. And what do you think is the hardest part about owning a dispensary? Uh, I believe the hardest part is, um, you know, I, I, I think it's, it's, it's consistent with what I was saying before. Um, growth in the industry is difficult just because it's not as simple as like, oh, I'm doing well. I should open up a second location. You know, it's not that simple. So growth is difficult. Sometimes there's only but so much you can do in one store, you know, and you need you need more locations. So I think uh, that's probably the most difficult thing. And then also kind of as a dispensary owner and 
you know, a, a smaller team, it's difficult to wear so many hats at once. So I find that a lot of people who start out in cannabis their first, you know, five, six years, it's, it's a lot of, um, you know, juggling a lot of different job functions and responsibilities, which is just difficult in general. But I guess that's entrepreneurship. What, what do you think is the easiest part of having a dispensary? I mean, the easiest part is seeing all the people that I've been able to help. Um, you know, I, we have so many patients that truly use cannabis for medicinal purposes, and it really makes their life and their quality of life uh, better and easier. And that is just so rewarding and uh, makes all of this feel worth so it. So tell anyone who's listening that may want to open up a dispensary, maybe three pieces of advice that they could use. Um, I think number one is understand your your state's regulations and where they are legislatively. Figure out if the opportunity has already passed, but even if it's already passed, more is coming. So kind of get involved in the conversation. Um, but if it has not already come up in your state, you know, get involved in trying to shape the narrative to be um, favorable to yourself as well as, you know, equitable to the community because that's really important and we cannot allow uh, these laws to pass without uh, remembering that we must be equitable towards the communities who have been impacted by the war on drugs. So that's my first uh, piece of advice. Second piece of advice would be um, to, to make sure that you really focus on the application process is extremely important and cutting corners is not, um, is, is not going to get you a winning score. So really focus on that and focus less on, you know, all the things you're going to do after you win, um, until after you win, because it's really a, a difficult process and it's, it's something in itself that deserves its full attention. And I find that so many people are like, yeah, I'm going to do this. And I want to have this type of, I want to have a spa in my location. I'm like, dude, you got to win an app first. And <laughs> you know, those, those application processes are n no joke. So you, I think focus on that before you focus on all the amazing things you're going to do um, after fo focus on the things that are important to the people who are scoring the applications and developing that about um, your company while you were in that development stage. And then my third piece of advice is, is to definitely um, get ready for a, a definite, a bumpy ride. You know, it's not going to be so simple, but it will be very rewarding in the future. So get ready for, you know, some difficult times and having to raise a lot of money and, um, you know, do a lot operating wise. And on top of that, you're dealing with customers as a dispensary owner. So not only are you dealing with all this behind the scenes, you're also dealing with patients or customers in adult use markets that, you know, have a lot of opinions and you got to be able to gracefully deal with that too. So, you know, you just have to be prepared for what comes with it, but it's definitely going to be rewarding in the future. And then what is next for Marion Maine? So Marion Maine is definitely exploring expansion opportunities and partnership opportunities. So I'm really excited to continue to see what that looks like. I think collaboration 
is key to uh, growth in this industry, especially you know if you're not uh, if you don't have access to fifty million dollars that you can spend whenever you need. You, collaboration is definitely key. So we're looking at different ways we can collaborate with other brands and can expand into different markets. And, you know, I myself, um, I have been really working to help other people get into the industry. And that's been a personal focus of mine uh, for a while now. And where can people find you on social media? Yeah, so you can find me um, at... Uh, on Instagram, that's where I am most of the time. At I am hope so dope. It's all one word, and um, uh, you can also find me online at hopewiseman.com. I have some new online courses that I'll be releasing in a few weeks uh, that are geared towards helping people understand the application process and you know what all goes into it so then they can you know navigate the process a little bit better cuz i didn't have anyone to help me do that when i was going through this process so i was all over the place and you know we spent money that we didn't need to with certain consultants and we did um, things that we didn't need to do because i was just trying to learn so i wanted to give people uh, you know a condensed version of what I've learned over the past six years and how these application processes are run and how to set yourself up for success. So you can find me again at um, Instagram. I am hope so dope. My website, hopewiseman.com. And then um, Mary and Maine, the dispensary located in Maryland, Prince George's County. Uh, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Mary and Maine. And then our website, marionmain.com. Are there any events that you're doing over the next few months that you would like to also plug? Yeah. So I'm speaking um, all over, really, in the next few months. I'll be in Austin at South by Southwest in a few weeks, March uh, 14. I'll be there. Yes, I'll be at BYOB. Yeah, Memorial Day weekend in Miami. So that's really exciting. Um, there's going to be a cannabis diversity symposium in June here in Maryland, which is really awesome. It's being run by a company called Uplift Maryland um, and also uh, by Minorities for Medical Marijuana. So that one's going to be really exciting as well. And then Marion, Maine is starting back up our free educational series at our store. But this time we're moving it to Saturdays. We used to do them on Wednesday nights. We're doing them on Saturdays from 12 to 1. So um, they'll be the second and fourth Saturday of every month. Thanks for listening to the Warrior Her podcast. Don't forget to join us next week for another fun episode. Go like, subscribe, rate, and leave a review on iTunes. Until next time, Warriors, remember, girls really do run the world.